You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. Um, I spent this past week in, in Yosemite tent camping uh, with some friends, which was awesome. Uh, and I made the foolish mistake of trying to get the last flight into Shreveport last night. And so I got into the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, and we got to the terminal, whatever, the gate. And they're like, hey, we don't have a crew to fly this plane. Awesome. So I, I, I took the bus shuttle over to the rental car place, which is like a 30-minute drive. It's crazy. And I got there like right before midnight when they closed. And they're like, yeah, it'll be 600 bucks for a one-way rental car. I was like, no. And then I got an Uber. And we're going to take up a love offering after this sermon to, to cover the cost of the Uber. But I got home at 3.30. I got a couple hours sleep. And I decided this morning that I'm going to bless you with a very short sermon. <laughs> yeah, so you're welcome. Um, this is the key to being a great preacher is just keeping it short. Um, I, don't know if, if, I don't know if you grew up in church. But I, I know growing up in church, I heard a lot of stories in the Bible in the Old Testament that at the time, as a kid, I just took him at face value. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then as an adult, I kind of go back to those stories. And I'm like, wait, what? What happened? Particularly in the Old Testament, right? You go through Genesis or the book of Judges or some of the kings. And the, the Old Testament reads like a very early version of Game of Thrones. Like there's just a lot of betrayal and brokenness and, and, and dirtiness. And it's just like, as a kid, I didn't see it, <laughs> you know. Um, and one of those examples is the story of Samson. Now, uh, Samson growing up was kind of pitched as a Christian or Jewish, it's Old Testament, Jewish version of Hercules. Superhuman strength, did all these marvelous, mighty acts, was a great warrior, and he's a hero. But as I go back and look at the story of Samson as an adult, I don't see him as much of a hero, more like a cautionary tale. A strong word would be psychopath. Um, but you can get it there. And, I'll t and just follow me for a second. Samson was a very angry person who couldn't control his anger. One of the first stories of Samson is some people were giving him like a riddle contest. And they tricked him. They, he, he didn't win. And so he killed 30 people. Uh, another a chapter or two later, Samson was engaged. And the fiancé decided to marry somebody else. And... He got foxes and tied their tails together and set them on fire and burned down farms and storehouses and just created havoc. Uh, later on, like the next paragraph, his family was like, dude, we, you got to relax. They, they restrained him. They tried to pull him back a little bit and, and put him in restraints. He broke the restraints. He grabbed a, a jawbone of a donkey and he killed a thousand people. Later on, he was captured. Uh, he gave away his secret of his strength, the hair. So they cut his hair. The Philistines, they cut his hair. They gouged his eyes out. They imprisoned him and mocked him. And in a final act of rage and maybe despair and vengeance, Samson pushed a building down, killing himself, but everyone else in the building. And it said that that one event killed more people than all the other people he killed previously in his life. So Samson is a story of unchecked anger that just continues to escalate into the point of complete brokenness and loneliness. He's a cautionary tale as much as he might be 
whatever else the Bible wants him to be for us. Uh, a few things stand out to, about Samson and his anger. One is that he's just easily angered and provoked. And when you're easily provoked and easily angered, you're easily controlled. And I think of Star Wars, and I think of Star Wars, I think, for every sermon. But in Star Wars, I think of Anakin Skywalker, the Hayden Christensen version, who was manipulated by Palpatine until eventually Anakin became a disciple of the emperor, became Darth Vader. His anger allowed him to be controlled by a manipulator. I also think of my children. I have four daughters, ten and under, and they know how to provoke each other and to get each other in trouble. And we have to constantly be like walking steps back. Well, what happened before that? What happened before that? What happened before that? They, they, they love to provoke each other into fits of rage and then just see what happens. So Samson was easily provoked, easily angered, and therefore easily controlled. And that's a cautionary tale for us. Secondly, Samson's anger often led to disproportionate responses um, compared to the offense. Like losing the riddle game and killing 30 people, that seems a little bit disproportionate, right? Our anger, when left unchecked, can lead to disproportionate responses. We're probably not going to be mass murderers, I hope. That's great. But we could be in a situation where our words or our actions, driven by our anger, make the situation worse than it was before. Our anger can lead to disproportionate responses that escalate a situation rather than de-escalate it. So anger can be disproportionate. And lastly, his anger led to isolation. One thing that really stands out to me with Samson is the book of Judges in the Old Testament. It's called the book of Judges not because they're like American judges, uh, the legal system we have now, but they were military leaders that would rise up in different periods of time in Israel's history to kind of bring back stability to the people. So that there was a cycle in the book of Judges. And almost, I think it's probably chapter by chapter, a new story. This happened over and over again where Israel would kind of lose their way. They would begin to fight within and, and kind of lose their, their path, lose their virtue, lose their values. Things would become unstable. An enemy army would come and invade. And then God would rise up this leader to unify and bring people back to their core values and then reestablish stability in Israel. So the judges in the book of Judges were political and military leaders that united people under a common vision, except for Samson. Samson was a loner. People were afraid of him. He was constantly pushing people away with his anger. Even his own family didn't know what to do with him. If your anger is uncontrolled, it leads to isolation. It, it, you burn bridges with a hot temper. And I'm sure most of us know someone that is always angry and easily explodes. And when we're around that person, we walk on eggshells, we duck out of the room, we clench up, we get tight. Anger can lead to, to isolation. Now, my wife and I, in a few weeks, we'll, we'll be married 15 years. And that's awesome. And I, I remember when we first were engaged, there was an older couple that I really respected. I said, what's a, a piece of advice that you have for a, a newly married or soon to be married couple? And my, my friend said to me, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I remember thinking, I don't like that advice. <laughs> and it turns out it's like it's in the Bible. Um, so it has a little more, more weight and authority. But I'm the kind of person that loves for the sun to go down on my anger. I love to stuff things down and kind of ignore when I'm bothered. And the first few years of our marriage, literally when Ashton and I would get in a fight, I would fall asleep. I would, I would, I would employ what I now call the possum method. I played dead. <laughs> and hoping that when we wake up the next morning, the fight would be over, we'd all be good. I would be great. 
but Ashley would be like a crockpot, just stewing all night and wake up more mad. And that's, that's, not, that's not an indictment on her. That's an indictment on me, just to be clear. Um, but for the longest time in my marriage, I avoided conflict. And I wanted, to, to, I wanted to, the sun to go down on our anger. That's not healthy. This comes from Paul in Ephesians. This, this phrase, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I love this verse because it gives us kind of a holistic approach to how we deal with anger. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. There's a few things I want to kind of pull out of this verse, but I would say that anger does the most damage in our lives when we move to two extremes. When we give full vent to it, when we just are constantly raging and reactive and hot-tempered, that's one extreme where anger can do a lot of damage because we escalate the situation. We burn bridges like Samson did. The other extreme that can go to is that when we stuff it down, when we ignore it, when we allow it to fester. Paul says, do not let the devil get a foothold. When we push our anger down and don't pay attention to it and, and, and process it and work through it, it can also do a lot of harm. That's, that's the camp I like to, to land in. When we stuff our anger down, we tend to withdraw from the relationship. We tend to withhold. We tend to be passive aggressive. Uh, and what happens is that can kind of grow and fester into bitterness and resentment. Eventually it can lead to contempt, which is one of the biggest dangers in a relationship. So there's two extremes there. So Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. The first thing you notice in that verse is when you're angry, Paul assumes that we're going to be angry because anger is a human experience. Being angry is not a sin. It's a natural human emotion. Being angry is not a sin, but sometimes what we choose to do with our anger can be sinful. It can be destructive, especially when it leads to these two extremes. So what do we do when we get angry? A few things, then we're done. First thing I would say is be curious about it. Uh, I grew up Southern Baptist, and, and Southern Baptist preachers love to use alliteration, like letters that start with, you know, words that start with the same letter. And we also love to use rhymes. So I got this, this is for you. It's free, it's cheesy, but you'll remember it. It's don't get furious, get curious, right? You're going to remember that. It's been, like, I have a lot of other stuff in this sermon I'm proud of. That's what you're going to remember because it, it rhymes. Don't get furious, get curious. Seek to understand what's going on and why you're getting angry. Anger is often a secondary emotion, meaning it's often a mask or a symptom of when you are most, most commonly when you're afraid or when you're sad. Usually when we're angry, it's because we're afraid or because we're sad. Now th think about when you're afraid. If you think about like a, a young mom that sees her kid going too far in the, in the deep end of the pool and she screams across the, the, the pool yard or whatever you call it, um, get back, you know, and, and, and it sounds furious and it's loud and it's strong and it's intense. And it's not that the mom is angry at the kid. And actually, she may even think that she's angry. How could you be so stupid? Whatever, you know, you don't listen to me. There's all this energy that's going towards the kid that, that sounds or feels like anger. But really what's going on underneath is she's just afraid. She's afraid the kid might be, may, may face harm. Afraid of being, um, yeah, afraid of loss. So a lot of times when we're angry, what's underneath that really is fear. It could be a fear of uh, a loss of power, a loss of control, a, lo a loss of reputation. Um, but it's important that when we get angry to be curious about that. Also, we, when we're angry, it might be because we're sad. Now that could be um, because the person said or did something that hurt our feelings, and the anger is justified, that's fine. It also could be that uh, someone said something or we're in a situation that reminds us of a past wound or, or an insecurity that we have. 
So when we're angry, it's important to be curious about why am I angry, to get like clarity around that. Now, Viktor Frankl uh, wrote this book, Man's Search for Meaning, which is a beautiful uh, book. And one of my favorite quotes from that book, he says, in between stimulus and response, there is space. In between stimulus and response, there is space. So in between the thing that happens to us, the, the, the comment that's made towards us, the, the trial that faces us, in between that stimulus and how we choose to respond to that event, there is space. And he says there's space to choose your action. And in that choice comes your growth and your freedom. And so what he's saying there is that something happens to you and you get angry, but you have a, an opportunity to take a break and think about how you want to respond. And in doing so, you can find ways to grow and find freedom. There's plenty of times in our lives that when we're angry, it's completely justified. But we need to kind of take a step back and, and figure out what's going on there. Ashley and I are still, we're 15 years in, and we're constantly growing in our communication ability and pattern and endurance. And there's times when we're in a fight or a conflict or whatever, and I can tell that I am now, I'm getting defensive, I'm getting sarcastic, I'm getting tunnel vision. I, I, I want to be right, and I find my one way to be right, and I focus on that until I get it, right? Um, I'm, I get stubborn. And in those moments where I kind of get tunnel vision, if I'm in a good space and healthy and aware enough, I can say, hey, I need to go for a walk real quick. I need to take a car ride, put the windows down, and just like think for a second. I need us to take a break. Maybe I need to take a nap, but I promise I'll come back <laughs> and talk about it. Uh, when we get to this point of, of escalated anger, we need to just kind of decompress for a second and say, what is this really about? And then come back to it and keep working through it. Because in between stimulus and response, there is space. And in that space is the, the, the choice of how you respond. And in that choice is, is growth and freedom. So I encourage you to give yourself space to be curious about why you might be angry. And lastly, I'd say, when you're angry, be curious about it and then act on it or not. And I know that's super helpful, like clear, hey, you're angry, you should do something about it or not. That's cool. I, I, think, the, I think the wisdom comes in knowing when to act on something and when to let it go. It's okay to act in your anger if it's intentional, right? And if it doesn't cause more destruction or escalate the situation. Jesus got angry a lot. There's a few examples in scripture that come, come to mind immediately. One would be when he flipped over the tables in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. He was angry about the injustice being done against poor people. He was rightfully angry. But he didn't go in like with lightning bolts shooting out of his hand and just zap everybody. Like he made a statement, hey, the thing that's, that's causing God to, to be held back in the temple is that this money making scheme. And he went in and intentionally and methodically sought to, to, to correct that. There's another story that I love about Jesus when he gets angry and he's in the synagogue. And so Jesus is in the synagogue and he's surrounded by Pharisees and scribes that are trying to trap him. And here's the trap that they lay for him. They bring in someone that's crippled, like has crippled hands and it's on the Sabbath. And they basically put Jesus in a trap, a double bind. Jesus, this, this man needs to be healed, and you are a healer, and if you're a good person, you'll heal this person. Jesus, you are a good, that's one bind. The other bind, Jesus, you are a, a Jewish, uh, you're claiming to be a rabbi, people call you rabbi, you claim to follow the law, and if you heal this person on the Sabbath, you're breaking the law, and you're not a good person. So there's a trap here. 
what do you do? Do you obey the Sabbath or, and, or do you help the person? And the text says that Jesus looked at each of them and he knew it was in their mind. He knew it was in their hearts. He knew it was a trap. And Jesus got angry. It says Jesus got angry. And then he looked to the crippled person and said, stretch out your hand. And he healed him. He's like, I'm not going to play your games. I'm not going to play into your trap. Jesus got angry, and in his anger, he brought healing and restoration. Anger can be like this sonar radar going off to let us know that something's not right. And if we can do the work to explore it and say, well, what do I want to be right? What, what are the things, uh, the things I desire in this situation or this relationship? The anger can be, then become fuel to bring about change. But it needs to be intentional and constructive. And that's super hard for sure. So when you get angry, be curious about it and act on it or not. And this is the last part, the or not. Sometimes it's okay to just let something go. You don't have to get angry about everything and try to fix everything. And Solomon says this in Proverbs. He says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is the glory of man to overlook an offense. It is the glory of a person to overlook an offense. There's a lot of wisdom in just getting angry, recognizing why you're angry, and saying, I'm just going to put that down and let it go. It's not worth the fight. And the wisdom is knowing when it is worth the conversation or the action and when it's not. There's, there's tension there. So act on it or not, and you have to have the wisdom or discretion of when to do that. I'm going to close with two quotes, one from Aristotle that I think just could be the whole sermon, and, we'd be, you know. and the second one is uh, from Paul Tripp, who's, who's a pastor. So Aristotle says this, Anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power, and that is not easy. And then Paul Tripp says this, One of the necessary components of our broken world is anger. Because if this world is broken, if it's not the way it's supposed to be, then, it, then it's right, it points, then it's, oh geez. If the world is not the way it's supposed to be, then it points, it's right to point us towards, oh geez. I think I typed this thing wrong and I can't get the, I'm sorry. Let me try it again. Third time's a charm. One of the necessary components of our broken world is anger. Because if this world is broken, it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's right to be motivated by anger in these situations. Anger is not just a bad thing. Anger is also a very good thing. And we better know the difference. God's grace is not supposed to make us unangry. I must read that sentence again. God's grace is not supposed to make us unangry. God's grace is supposed to make us good and angry at the same time. Good and angry at the same time. And second, I'm going to sing doxology for a few minutes. It's a time of reflection. And I just want to encourage you to think about a situation or a relationship recently where you've been angry and just take these few minutes to be curious about that. What, what's driving that anger? What's a longing or a desire that I have in that situation that's not being met? What's something I might be afraid of? What's something that I'm sad about? And then think about what, what's my desired outcome? What do I want from that? And how can I creatively and constructively pursue that? How can I let anger be fuel for growth and reconciliation? All right, let's pray.